Welcome to Rogue News. We are the preeminent geostrategic, geoeconomic, and geopolitical news show on YouTube and on the web. Join us for hard-hitting analysis, behind-the-scenes strategy, and brutal commentary. Find out why many consider us the place to get their news and information. Check us out at roguenews.com. Follow us on Twitter at Real Rogue News, Facebook, and most of the popular podcasting apps. Most of all, remember to subscribe, like, comment, and share. Folks, it's V the Grill Economist coming to you this morning. It's V for Velas. We have the man of the hour with us this morning. Velas is here, and he, we're going to unleash him on the unsuspecting masses or the suspecting masses, either way. Uh, check us out, roguenews.com. Follow us on Twitter at Real Rogue News, and check out our paid sponsors, mycbdedibles.com. Mycbdedibles.com. For all your CBD edible goodness, go there, check it out, and we're on every single podcasting app. The link should all be in the description box. And with that being said, good morning, gentlemen. How are you guys? I'm good. How are you guys doing? I'm doing good, man. I can't complain. I mean, I could complain, but who's going to listen? I am stoked. The weather's so nice outside. It's going to be like yes, 60 degrees, guys. sunny. Damn. I'll See, take you're it. really chipper this morning. You, know, you got up at it. 530. You had an early lunch. I mean, I'm, I haven't slept all night. I went to sleep, I think, at 430 in the morning. I had some good I CBDs. Go I had some good CBDs uh, uh, last night to... to level me out so I'm, I'm ready to go let's let's go wow. all right <laughs> i'm missing out on the cbd bandwagon here for the sleep fellas how are you buddy i'm i'm good everybody i'm good and some housekeeping uh everybody um this will be my my uh show for december uh i've got some stuff coming up the rest of the month i gotta go deal with and then obviously the end of the month is christmas eve and new year's eve so i'll be back on january 7th uh, but of course, I'll be blowing up Discord as I usually do. So I'll be chatting with a number of you out there. That is, unless of course we have some sort of roundtable. If there's a roundtable in December, I'll definitely make it. Make oh, it absolutely, that. definitely. Um, quick word about Australia. Uh, it's a wonderful place filled with magical kangaroos. Is that what you're going to say? God help us. Um, <laughs> there was a band back in the '80s and the '90s called Midnight Oil. And mm. they had a, a song called Beds Are Burning. Now, what I didn't know until a number of years ago was is that the real meaning behind the song Beds Are Burning was about the impact of the settling of Australia on the native peoples, specifically that um, it was part of the, the uh, Commonwealth policy. They would take Aborigine kids away from their families and educate them in government schools. And they were denied their culture and their language. Um, to kind of bring these these primitive peoples up to the modern world. Mm -hmm. What's equally sad about that is, is that the Australian government, like a lot of things, if you don't live in a particular country, you may not necessarily be aware of what goes on in your neighbors. The Australian government didn't really stop those policies until like the early 1970s. I mean, it went on for a long time. We're not, you know, we're not talking about the American experience in the 1860s here. This, this it's, was kind of like in, in Canada, they did the same thing as well, right? Uh, in certain parts of Canada, yes. Um, and so um, with these COVID lockups in Australia, what, what has been kind of missed is, um, once again, it's disproportionately impacting those communities. In fact, the Australian leadership has been going out of its way to uh, arrest uh, Aborigine leaders, especially in Western, in Western Canada, to, to stop resistance to the government policies about inoculations. So... What I find sad about all of this on a lot of levels is, is we have all lived long enough in our lives now to see Australia actually start locking up their native people again. Mm. And at the same time, we've lived long enough to actually see a day where Germany and Austria are cracking down on undesirables in their societies and standing there with people with guns saying, I want to see your papers. Um, for those of you who know the history uh, next up should probably be Belgium trying to kill everyone in the Congo, uh, for those of you that, that are aware of what I'm referencing there. Um, something about the law, I've got an image uh, that CJ can put up on the screen.
This concerns one second. Sure, man. This concerns what's known as the legal concept of an unconscionable contract. Mm. Oh. Hmm. Is that the new pandemic law that was passed in Australia? No, this is just what the law says. And well, CJ's pulling up that image. What it, what it says is an unconscionable contract is one that a court refuses to enforce because of fundamental unfairness. And this kind of goes to why certain federal judges have been saying they're not going to um, they're not going to enforce some of the directives from the White House. Uh, the two factors that often lead to a court to say that a, a contract is unconscionable is number one, oppression, meaning that one party used a superior power to force a contract on a weaker party uh, and or surprise, meaning that the weaker party did not fully understand the, con the consequences of its contract with the other party. Mm. So just a thought. Um, the Ghislaine Maxwell trial, uh, I, I was in the comments section of a couple of shows this week um, noting I was going to bring this up. Uh, I agree with the Zeller brothers and Mike Moore. Uh, in my opinion, this, there you go. Um, this whole thing has been worked out. Uh, my thumbnail on what's going to happen in that court case is she may get like 18 months. She'll get released after three months. There'll be a massive fine that she'll pay and then she'll leave the country. Um, I would direct your attention to all of you in the audience. There's a number of books that have been written. Some are not footnoted. Uh, I know that may kind of be a weird comment, but I prefer to read books that are footnoted so I can see what the hell the source was. Um, uh, others are. There's a book coming out this June in 2022 called Epstein and Mac Maxwell, Inc., How the U.S. Government Helped Make Spying, Sex Trafficking, and Blackmail Big Business by Dylan Howard, Melissa Cronin, and James Robertson. You can pre-order that on on, uh, on Amazon or other other book websites. I'm looking, looking forward to reading that one. Um, the only possible way this trial produces something tangible is if something unforeseen occurs. Uh, the judge in this case, in that case, is a complete plant. Uh, it's been said by many. James Comey's daughter is the prosecutor. Thanks, CJ. Uh, James Comey's daughter is the prosecutor. She's the one who supposedly lost the uh, closed camera TV tapes or CCTV uh, TV tapes of Epstein's cell. Uh, by the way, just just a reminder, folks. Uh, prisons do not use recording tapes. They don't use magnetic tapes or for those of us old enough to remember VHS tapes. Uh, those images are stored digitally on a computer server. So it's, it's not like the old joke from many years ago about, oh, uh, we had a tape of what was going on in his cell, but somebody uh, taped over it with uh, the love boat or another TV show. Um, that's not what happens. So if indeed the images are missing, somebody had to go into a, a, a secured computer server and delete them. Uh, Comey's daughter's a cleaner, uh, just like Bill Barr. Uh, and in the land of the memory hole, do not forget that Jeff Epstein was a member of the Trilateral Commission. That's true. Uh, he was a member of the Council on Foreign Relations. He was a member of the New York Academy of Science, and he was a Rockefeller University board member. So the other thing to keep in mind about her case that's going on right now is why when we have essentially what legally is a racketeering operation for Epstein and Maxwell, has nobody else been arrested? And if you look at the charges, I mean, it didn't really come out until recently. I had a chance to go over some of the charges. And that, to me, was, was really the, the most apparent thing about this, because there's one count of this, two counts of that. Um, if you look at real federal cases or even civil cases, every time something happened to someone, there's a count. For every person who was violated or felt their, their rights were violated, there's a count. So it's like for every time one of these women, or for that matter, young men, were, were touched by somebody and they were underage, there should be a count. So the, the number of charges brought against her is, is really thin. The other thing, too, is, is that, as I'm sure many of you have seen, they're throwing a lot of red meat out there. You know, Donald Trump was on a plane flight. Uh, Bill Clinton was on a plane flight. Yeah, that was proven false. The FAA released the uh, flight records. Everybody thought Trump was on that private flight from Palm Beach to Newark. Uh, wasn't didn't happen. Well, and the other thing too is, is, is again, folks, as I often talk about the head fake. You know, yeah. the question we have to ask is, and and when were the BlackRock executives on that plane? Mm. When were Vanguard executives on that plane? Oh, here's one completely out of left field. Um, where and when were the folks in the mining industry? Not, not up and in, including De Beers on those flights. But I wanted to share with all of you, because it's in the public domain, 
Um, there's a number of uh, free press report had this, but it's it's popped up in a couple of other places. Um, who are all the folks that were listed in Jeff Epstein's um, black book? Now, yeah. how do I know that this article is correct? And I'm I'm not messing with any of you in today's audience or any of you listening to the show at you know later on on rebroadcast um, because I have a copy of the black book. Ooh. I reached out to the prosecutor in the Caribbean that was trying to get money from the Epstein estate for everything from back taxes to fines and penalties and fees and stuff that were owed. And one of her staff members was kind enough to, to give me a copy of it because it's in the public domain in that island. So I have a copy of Epstein's Black Book. Now, before anybody asks. All right. Uh, it's at this point, I'm signing off. Velas, it was nice knowing you. You are awesome. Uh, you are a great friend. I hope you, uh, you know, uh, it was nice, man. Uh, but CJ, I'll see you later. We, we, we had a great time here on this We show. had a great time. It was fun while it lasted, Velas. Thank you. You'll see a slight, you'll see a slight uh, poof on the border uh, of where my house was. No, I, before anybody asks, I am not posting it on Discord. I'm just going to be clear about that. I'm not posting it on Discord. You're, you're welcome to go out there and go try and find it. If you want to, you can probably get a hold of it. Now, what's, yeah, William Justice, very funny, big copies. Um, it, it is out there. Now, what's interesting about the Black Book is this. Uh, there's a whole bunch of people listed in there. And there's certain people I'm not going to name on the air. I will list from this article because this article has is, is been all over the, the Discord channels and, and other things. The other thing is, is, is what I found interesting is, is many of the high-profile people in there, it lists the vehicles they drive and their license plate numbers. Oh, my God. Well, because if you're pulling up to Les Wexner's joint up in Columbus, Ohio, or you're pulling up to Gavin Newsom's property out in California, they want to make sure that the security shack doesn't have to call in and make sure you are who you say you are. Mm. But I mean, it had names of kids. It had the kids' cell phone numbers. It had, for very wealthy people, it had everything from, I'm not kidding you, like the phone number at the pool house, the phone number at the guard shack. Uh, my personal favorite for many of the high profile um what do you call it? Uh, for for many of the high profile people, uh, where their family office folks were, and how to get a hold of them. I mean, Ep Epstein had everybody in that in that book. Um, so, who are some of the people that were listed in the article that uh, was both on Substack as well as out of the Free Press report? We had Jamie Diamond uh, from from J.P. Morgan. We had Jess Staley, uh, former Vice President of J.P. Morgan, most recently the CEO of Barclays. Uh, Staley was the guy who stepped down from his role at Barclays when, uh, due to an internal investigation, they found he had sent over 1,200 emails to Epstein, several containing the term Snow White, which has two different uses that are out there. One, one is for cocaine. The right. other is, is for uh, prostitutes. Um, Larry Summers, former chair, chairman of the Federal Reserve, president of Harvard and a current Harvard professor, one of two of the Rothschilds, don't anybody read into that. I know you mentioned the word Rothschild and people's heads start exploding. Uh, Lynn Forrester Rothschild, uh, managing oh, partner yes. of the Council for Inclusive Capitalism. Oh, yeah, I'm all about the inclusive capitalism. It, independent director of the Rothschild Family Investment Office. Uh, and by the way, the Rothschild Family Investment Office owns which major media publication that I know I've been reading for years? The uh, Economist. The, uh, the Economist, yes, sir. Um, Peter Soros, yes, nephew of that Soros. Uh, Glenn Durbin, founder of Highbridge Capital, uh, founding member of the Robin Hood uh, Foundation charity. Uh, Donald Trump, of course. Uh, Edgar Bronfman. Now, this is where it gets interesting. I've done a couple shows talking about the Bronfmans, and these are the Seagrams folks out of Canada. But Edgar is the father of Claire Bronfman. And Blair, Claire was the one who was funding Keith Rainier and his Nexium sex trafficking cult. And she's now in prison, where she's keeping her mouth shut. Um, Leon Black, former CEO of Apollo Global and a former board member of the Museum Modern of Art. Uh, Mort Zuckerman, CEO of Boston Properties. Lord Anthony Bamford, uh, the CEO of J.C. Bamford. Uh, the other Rothschild, Evelyn uh, de Rothschild, yeah. a British economist and financier. Uh, Prince Andrew, of course. Um, oh, Prince Andrew. Richard Branson, uh, Virgin Airlines. Michael Bloomberg, uh, Andrew Cuomo, Bill Richardson, former New Mexico governor. Andrew Richardson, Cuomo. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, 
Also, what's interesting is um, Richard Bill Richardson's an interesting guy, the former governor of New Mexico. He actually ran ran. I would say interference. He he took issues a couple times with Bill Clinton's administration about some stuff they were doing, and Richardson ran afoul of the of the party and the Clintons at one point. Richardson is also uh, knee deep in the UFO topic, which is you can go look into that one on your own on your own time. But yeah, Richardson was listed in there. Uh, George Mitchell, uh, Mohammed bin Salman, Elon Musk, Jeff Bezos, uh, Bill Clinton, of course, Al Gore. Um, the Al Gore thing was interesting because Al and his wife Tipper uh, are alleged to have been out at the Epstein Island several times. Lord Mandelson, uh, a, a politician from the United Kingdom and also a member of Tony Blair's uh, cabinet. Uh, Ehud Barak. And then and a, a surprising entry, none other than Charles Spencer. That would be Princess Diana's brother. Huh. So there you have it. And probably none of that will come up during the trial either. So shifting gears a bit, uh, Friday, November 19th, I posted both on the hashtag Bellas page and the resources page and Discord uh, tools that you can use to scrub yourself off the internet or at least uh, get yourself off of the services that ping you with marketing stuff that's that's out there. You guys can go take a look at that. Some of that will take you a little bit of effort. In other cases, it's fairly straightforward. You can just go to a website, enter a few qualifying questions. They'll send an email to your, your yeah, an email to your personal email. You'll confirm you are who you say you are, and then they'll they'll take you off. Um, just a reminder: the Dark Winter exercise, which was held back in two thousand and one, we often hear the phrase "Dark Winter." We hear it used in in uh, current parlance and so on, or people even referencing the exercise itself. The exercise was held back in two thousand and one. However. What was the exercise about? Uh, it was about what would occur and how would policymakers respond to a smallpox outbreak in the United States. Oh, wonderful. What are the odds? Um, I posted on Friday, November 26th on the Vellis page on Discord a piece about a dead CDC whistleblower. Um, oh, this is even getting – now it's really getting juicy. Uh, no one important. Um he was just a naval officer and an epidemic intelligence service officer for the CDC. Now, some folks have raised eyebrows over that, saying, why oh, was Thank God. I, you know, I thought he was the janitor, so I feel better now, fellas. <laughs> <laughs> God, he, uh, the rabbit hole you're taking us into. He's one of those experts in that agency that dealt with biowarfare and related. Uh, he died in April of 2018, and until now, most of you probably never heard of him. His name was Timothy Cunningham. Uh, he also had a degree from Harvard. Um, this is where it gets amusing. We're definitely getting into the realm of uh, V's favorite topic of the nail gun. Um, they found him dead of suicide in a couple of inches of water near a river in Georgia. Uh, yeah. I would just like to repeat that. A naval non-commissioned officer was found dead in a few inches of water. He, he drowned, um, clearly. He did, clearly. Three inches of water is all you need to drown him. I mean, clearly. You know? he, uh, he filed a whistleblower report inside the agency and supposedly had articulated that there were dangerous things going on, in his opinion, between the pharmaceutical industry and the CDC. Uh, right after he filed that whistleblower report, he went on the run, and they found uh, his body a few days later. And of course, as you might imagine, no one. there have been various FOIA requests submitted to get a hold of his whistleblower report, but it hasn't been uh, released. Uh, I'm not going to get into more about that here on the show other than mentioning it, and you can go to the Vellis page on the 26th and go go find that and go take a look at it. This is also a good time to remind everyone, uh, some of you may recall in the late 90s and early 2000s, um, anybody remember, I know I remember, you remember all those doctors and researchers in the medical field that kept winding up dead in those years? Oh, those, uh, very, suicides? yes, many, there was like at least like 20 some <laughs> odd. One guy, another person, I think he was, uh, he was discovered off a bridge uh, drowned in three inches of water. There was another person. He was duct taped several, several times in a cocoon and shot himself in the back of the head. Yeah, we had some folks, and it was globally, everybody. Yes, we had some people in Germany. We had folks in France. We had um, some notable people in uh, Britain and then in Canada and the United States. There were a number of people who uh, left this world by unnatural means. And the one tying factor was, is they were all experts in various kinds of disease transmission. Um, some, not all, I want to be very clear about that, uh, not all. Uh, some, though, had been working on government projects and so on. So 
nothing, nothing new there. Um, I posted on the village page last night uh, uh, a story from the guy Ice Age Farmer. He's out on BitChute, BitChute, which is also where you can find um, Ryan Dawson's content. I think it's the only site left that will carry Ryan Dawson because he's caused such a problem out there in the alternative community. Uh, and of course, our friend, uh, the amazing Polly. Um, Ice Age Farmer was was talking about how the United Nations Anti-Terrorism uh, Department is getting more and more involved in getting websites shut down in the public domain. Uh, they're submitting, this UN agency is submitting complaints to various hosting providers saying that XYZ website needs to be taken down because they're fostering terrorism. And of course, if you dig into it a little bit more further, you'll find that in most cases, these websites are actually kind of carrying content that's anti-globalist or similar. So definitely something we have to keep uh, our eyes on to watch as that, as that develops. Um, moving into the finance world and giving credit where credit is due, this a lot of the following is going to come from Gerald Salente. Um, after you turn down the volume when Gerald starts getting himself really worked up uh, halfway through his show. But he's he's had some guidance out there. This is through his service, uh, through the, the magazine article and so on that he produces. But the content I'm about to cover was, was uh, definitely uh, powerful and wanted to share. I know many of you uh, probably check out Gerald's, Gerald's work or even are on his distribution, but this, this was definitely worth, worth pointing out. Um, and it's also something that may help a number of you to plan accordingly. Um, one of the main things was, as he talked about in the, in the next couple of months, we're looking at a probable uh, double swing regarding um, the rising costs of commodities and interest rates. Now, what specifically he articulated was, is that precious metals will continue to rise as investors are seeking safe havens uh, for assets to counter rising inflation. Now, my own input on that is, is that we've seen the effects of the green energy movement on many important metals and rare earths. I've covered that quite a bit on, on my show. I know V and, and CJ have done as well. It also goes to my position, uh, which I've also covered quite a bit about why so many governments of a number of countries who are rich in natural resources like Bolivia, Peru, Chile, Sudan, and others uh, have all been at the, the center of the hurricane. There's another country out there that's kind of slipped off the radar. And my, my uh, thanks to a friend of mine, Ryan, who pointed this one out to me that I had missed, and that is Morocco. Uh, there's a number of natural resources that Syria normally used to provide, but does not or cannot due to the various conflict and challenges going on there that Syria's been turned into a moonscape. Uh, there's been quite a bit of, of activity going on in Morocco, uh, private equity firms getting involved and in buying out certain assets and similar. So Salente's forecast was precious metals are going to decline as interest rates rise. Now, one of the many items to monitor is when will U.S. Uh, the Fed start raising rates because it's going to be a matter of when. Now, Salente feels precious metals will start to decline as interest rates go higher and the dollar gets stronger. The kicker is the economy, at least the U.S. economy, cannot run without cheap money. Correct. So he feels as a result of cheap money, uh, when interest rates go up, the economy and the equity markets will sharply decline, which will in turn drive precious metal prices and cryptocurrencies back up again. So that's your double swing. High now, drop, and then high again. Uh, and then, in my opinion, there's the inextinguishable fire of the supply chain issues and green energy also driving money uh, into seeking profit wherever people can get profit, which is predominantly going to be in commodities again. It's like the comment I made about land. Uh, land is one of your, your better bets uh, to fight inflation. So there's two peaks there that you can capitalize on. I leave that to people smarter than me in that area, but that's, that's the information. Uh, the big one, of course, is when. Should this take place? His estimate was June or, or uh, June of 2022 would be a rate hike or prior. And I know, V, on yesterday's show, you were talking about some activity you anticipated in the April-May time frame. Yep. It's, so, it's, it seems like it's all coming together. Now, there, there's some – I. it's pretty funny you brought out this whole, uh, you know, double high, double swing thing. Um, there is a lot of data that I'm talking to with guys who are running hedge funds – guys who are on the institutional side of things and we're all anticipating some major price downturns on certain assets come that you know April May time frame so if Salante is saying this I mean this this is a very real possibility I think I think as the time's going on this is starting to look more and more real Velas. yeah 
Well, and we're getting into, you know, we're getting into the period of time here where big money has to start making moves that even we at our level can see. Um, you know, one of my jokes with all of you is, is that we've all got to continue to, to manage a very fluid situation out there because unless I'm missing something, most, most of you on the show are not in a position to overthrow your own South American country. Uh, for commodity prices, so we've got, we got to deal with this from a different level. Um, the other thing he pointed out was is we should anticipate a number of businesses going under for the for the following reason, which is you've got a number of businesses who've been surviving on government funding the last two years, and oh, in my my opinion, you're going to be looking at um, a lot of geography behind that. And what I mean by that is is the northwest and the the northeast of the United States, plus. Salenti keeps focusing also on what he calls the great resignation. I think that's kind of funny, um, which there's a couple data points on this. I picked up some of the, what I'm about to say from, from other sources beyond Salente. Um, that being this, you, they're trying, you know, as is often the case, experts, I'm making air quotes on this side of my microphone. Uh, experts are trying to understand why folks aren't going back to work. And there's a couple of takeaways on that. The first is, I use the word retiring loosely. There are people who are retiring, but they're not yet 65. Now, you can get your Social Security benefits prior to the age of 65. I think it's either 60 or 62. I'm not sure. But you will take a hit. You you will be cutting into future future payments by doing that. But you, you can go with that angle. The other thing is, is that more and more uh, researchers are finding that a lot of uh, folks are cutting way back on their spending to enable them to get by on uh, the money they have. So that's, that's definitely, uh, another contributing factor as to why the workforce hasn't, uh, uh, hasn't, hasn't gone back to work. Now I wanted to also kind of shift into a different topic here, which is, um, because it relates to all of us and it relates to the world we're in, but this is something from the eighties, uh, something due to the industries in which I've worked, um, had access to the following. And it's funny because at the time it happened, it was kind of interpreted one way, but now when I look at it uh, reflectively, I'm finding, um, what do you call it? It's, it's relevant again. In the mid 1980s, uh, there was a hacker known as the mentor, which is kind of funny if you think about it. Hmm. Um, he was a member of an early hacking collective called the Legion of Doom. And huh. he, he had penned what he called the hacker's manifesto. Now, when I got out of college, and I've, I've shared this with a lot of you, I, I was originally going to go into an intelligence role and was told that uh, Russia will never again be a major strategic threat to the United States at the end of the Cold War, and I should go find something else to do. Um, so I went into the IT universe and found a whole bunch of people um, who uh, knew the lines by heart from Simpsons episodes and Monty Python and had uh, lava lamps on their desks and uh, spent a lot of time indoors reading and playing video games. And I thought, man, these, these are my people. Um, <laughs> and, then, and then later got, got back into working with the government and contracting and all of that sort of good stuff. But I'm going to quote for you um, a piece of his Hacker's Manifesto. So to quote, uh, you bet your ass we're alike. We've been spoon-fed baby food at school when we hungered for steak. The bits of meat that you did let slip through were pre-chewed and tasteless. Mm. We've been dominated by sadists or ignored by the apathetic. The few that had something to teach us found us as willing pupils, but those were few and like uh, drops of water in the desert. This is our world now, the world of the electron and the switch, the beauty of the bod. We make use of services already existing without paying for what could be dirt cheap if it wasn't run by profiteering gluttons but you call us criminals. We explore, but you call us criminals. We seek after knowledge, and you call us criminals. We exist without skin color, without nationality, without religious bias, and you call us criminals. You build atomic bombs, you wage wars, you murder and you cheat and you lie to us, and you try to make us believe it's for our own good, and yet we are the criminals. Hmm. Yes, I am a criminal. My crime is the crime of curiosity. My crime is that of judging people by what they say and think, not by what they look like. My crime is that of outsmarting you, and that's something for which you'll never forgive me. I am a hacker, and this is my manifesto. You may stop this individual, but you can't stop us all, because after all, we're alike, unquote. 
Now, there's a lot there to unpack. And in some circles, his manifesto or her manifesto was mislabeled or misunderstood as criminals stealing private property. You have to remember the 80s and you have to remember the early 90s. I actually uh, had some old three and a half diskettes of papers and stuff I wrote in undergrad and graduate school that I popped into an external reader a number of years ago. And of course, my antivirus software went insane. And a friend of mine who was over at my house was like, my God, what are you doing with all those viruses on, on those files? Good, good thing it's in an external drive. And I said, no, no, no. I said, don't, don't get worked up. I said, you have to remember what viruses were back in the day. I said, these are viruses that just sit there and wave at you and go, hi, I'm here. This, this isn't somebody stealing your bank account or shutting down, as I've often discussed on the show, shutting down a meatpacking facility or, or refrigerated areas that are holding food that have, have all spoiled. So. Again, in that era, hacking wasn't what it is today. It wasn't about theft or intimidation or shutting down critical systems or the big one, extortion. It was a lot of curious people with a strong understanding of technology. And security was non-existent. You know, if you had, if you had the right phone number, and I, I know it's out of the movie um, War Games with Matthew Broderick. But, I mean, if you had the right phone number and you had a little phone modem where you could put your, your phone receiver into the modem, I mean, you could call the power company. There was no password. It was just, oh, you have a computer. Oh, hey, uh, come on into the next. Come on in. <laughs> yep. So what was happening was a lot of people that were were quirky and unusual and in, into you know weird stuff started digging into uh, government systems. They started uh, digging into think tanks. They started digging into universities, and they started finding things. And you had bulletin boards with all of this knowledge out there. And I remember some of the stuff. Uh, late at night in the 90s when when I'm on a dial-up connection to various bulletin boards and looking at, at everything from things about archaeology that the Smithsonian refused to publish that that conflicted with with dogma to to other topic matter. And in later years, you know, when I was working with the government, I would attend various meetings and things. Um, you know, I would I would hear analysts talking with horror in their voices about we have individuals globally speaking with one another without proper filters of government in the media. You know, oh, my, the horror. Um, we're not out there controlling how people are interpreting what they're reading. We've got to get control over the Internet again, which is funny because that was in the 1990s. And here we go again. Um, so the manifesto spoke quite closely to how many of us feel today whether it's about the coup or about government control or about Australia or about a number of things. And of course, the, the main thing by the writer, which was it's about how many of us feel about how we're being labeled, whether it's about shot policies or similar. Now, another thing along with these lines as this whole process has evolved is my thanks to a friend of the show uh, who posted on Discord a copy of a website activity uh, relating to the Rittenhouse trial. Now, some of you may be aware of this. Um, when you look at things on a web browser, whether you're using uh, Explorer or you're using Firefox, whatever it might be, if you hit the right <clears throat> two or three keys, you can get a screen that will pop up on the right-hand side, and it will show you the code behind what's on the website that you're looking at. Now, IT people use this for troubleshooting. They can also use this to kind of uh, diagnose the pages are looking the way they're supposed to be. I use it periodically because sometimes you'll see a photo in a news piece or whatever, but there's no detail behind it. And if I can look at it from a coded perspective, sometimes it does uh, it does help me understand what the what the source of that image was or what the source of the link was that's that's on the website. What this person had done was is that they had done something similar by getting the the coded reference on a couple of websites where people were posting comments about the Rittenhouse trial. Now, what was interesting was they had maybe about 100 comments that were posted on social media, and these were by distinct, you know, individual accounts. And every single one of those accounts was saying the literal exact same words, criticizing the outcome of the trial, because not even one of them was a person. They're bots. They're machine bots. They're software bots. And I've talked about this on prior shows. Depending on your situation, each and every one of you can go out there and buy bots off of a bot farm. Now, in some cases, it's legal. In some cases, it's illegal. So be very careful if you're going to go do that. But the point I'm making is, is that, and this is something that, that uh, I, I mention him often, uh, Patrick Ryan, who, who had been on Rogue uh, earlier this year, um, and a couple of the other folks that we've got out there. This is, this is the asynchronous warfare of the internet, you know? 
every time humanity creates something good or something that's useful for all of us, there's always some jackass out there that wants to weaponize it. Yep. And so this is also where at the highest level possible and just treating the topic matter at face value, I'm not getting into the, the wherefores and what have yous and, and did it really happen the way we thought. In the simplest way possible, asynchronous warfare is you're sitting in a cave in Afghanistan and you spend $3 million and cause billions and trillions of dollars of damage to the United States by launching the 9-11 attacks. You cause the United States to react in such a way that we create all new layers of police state institutions that now have to be funded because the problem with government is the minute you start something, turning it off is, is a lot harder. Um, as, as we look at articles and things on the internet, we've often said it on the Discord pages because I've had a number of conversations with people. You know, trust but verify. All of us have to be very wary of articles that like speak to us directly and seem mm. to be the first time we've seen provable evidence of something we've been waiting for somebody uh, to prove case in point, you know, January 6th, I've had several people reach out to me about January 6th saying, well, where, I mean, beyond some of the folks that were paid uh, FBI informants, do we have, you know, bank transfers? Do we have money that went to these people? Do we have instructions directly coming from Langley, Virginia, or from the FBI headquarters to, to those folks to take part in those demonstrations? You know, the minute you start seeing an article and it's the only one of its kind that says, oh yeah, I've got the proof right here. You've got to be immediately suspect. And it's the same way that Gus Demos, all hail Gus, uh, the same way that Gus mentioned after the last election, uh, he's repeated this a couple of times. Gus said, "You got to be, especially after the last election, you got to be exceedingly careful." Glowworms. Uh, yeah, about anybody at this point coming out of the woodwork saying, "Hey, uh, I'm totally with you. Uh, I've totally got you back." You know, and, and for friends of mine in Michigan, who I joke with them about this, but it's true. The next time some joker shows up you've never seen before and goes, "Hey, we should go in the woods and start building a." A militia. It's like you, you need to you need to start checking the person immediately for listening yeah. devices. Yeah. Uh, e either that or get uh, get uh, you know I've, I joked on a prior show, but I have one myself. Get your uh, Faraday bag and make sure to put yourself on it. So I've got I've got one other um, kind of concluding thought for everybody here that I wanted to share, and then and then I'll uh, open the floor for uh, CJ and, and for V, and that concerns the following. Um, among the many things that, that I've had an interest in or I've, I've researched or what have you is um, I've always been interested by folks in the UFO community. Mm. Um, the other thing is, is I can tell you God's honest truth. Uh, I, I did attend uh, think tank and other debriefings and by strategic people who ran simulations and desktop um, analyses of different types of situations, everything from, you know, military to uh, fast prototyping of solutions in manufacturing or whatever it might be. And I've often found myself bringing up to these folks the thing about the UFO community. Now, there's always a raised eyebrow by people saying, oh, my God, you've got to be kidding me. But it's like, no, no, give me, give me some room here. Let me explain. Because I can assure you that when I've sat through meetings in my past lives with people who are big, big brain folks that study things, they love the UFO community. They love the UFO community because the UFO community are what? Well, they're often amateur hobbyists and people who are trying, who are convinced they're being lied to, which as the old saying goes, you may be, um, and are trying to tear apart a problem. But these aren't intelligence people. These aren't people that are trained and skilled in, in information handling and in disseminating classified information. These are, these are amateur people. And it's kind of like the old thing from product uh, management. You hear this all the time with product lifecycle management people and service lifecycle management people. Sometimes they'll, they'll, I'm not making this up, they'll literally go to their kids. They'll go to middle school kids and high school kids and say, if I had a problem that looked like this, how would you tackle it? And we're also shaped, especially as we all get, you know, 30 years of age or older, or even 25 years of age or older, we're also shaped by higher education, our life experiences, the way our, our employers, uh, be that commercial or private sector, want us to think and behave. We've forgotten the ability how to think. Right. And so what I've always liked about the UFO people is, is that they know how to tackle problems from different perspectives. Case in point, the Roswell topic. You know, do we keep hitting hitting the front door and filing FOIA requests to just flat out make the government tell us what the heck actually happened? Or in the case of some really creative people, and this is true, do we start fi filing Freedom of Information Act requests and ask for, and I'm not making this up, we ask for the personnel records 
of people who were enlisted, not officers, and are long since out of the military, who were stationed in New Mexico or at White Sands. Do we ask for, now again, stay with me, do we ask for uh, requisitions for supplies? Now, this was a good one. I actually went to a UFO conference and asked a guy, uh, walk me through the toilet paper thing. Because I said, I think I know the answer. But, but, you know, and the guy leaned back and smiled. And I'm like, what do you do? And he's like, well, I'm a real estate agent. <laughs> of course you are. And, and I said, okay, talk to me about the toilet paper thing. And he goes, well, a couple of years ago, somebody came up with the idea. If you got to push people in the 1940s who don't have the benefit of the internet and modern movies and everything else, and are suddenly confronted in their worldview and what they knew about the world in 1945, 1946, something from another planet. Mm. He goes, I'm pretty sure a lot of people are going to be running to the bathroom and losing control of their bowels <laughs> because they're dealing with something that's so off. And I said, I'll go with that. I like where you're going with that. And he goes, so somebody came up with the idea. Did the military ship more toilet paper down to the base? And I said, that's fantastic. I love that. I said, plus, you would have had more people scientists, engineers, and others, military personnel on the base, if indeed the events are true, trying to come to the, to the bottom of what happened. So you would have had a larger community of people. And he goes, right, right. which means more pencils, more paper, more toilet paper, more that's light brilliant. bulbs. He goes, we asked for light bulbs. And I'm like, that's awesome. I love that. I'm going to go take that back to the government agency for whom I work right now as really creative thinking. <laughs> I'm not going <laughs> to tell where I got it, but I said, that's awesome. I love that. So where I'm going with this is, is that there was a, speaking of bulletin boards back in the 90s, there was a, um, there was a, a idea out there that started getting discussed on bulletin boards back in the 90s. And don't think for one minute the government wasn't monitoring that stuff, because they were. But this idea started to gain traction, and the idea was this, that the topic itself is so huge, so overwhelming, so complex, that you just can't get your head around it. You can't just drop the truth or Roswell or any of those other events on people and call it a day. They'll either freak out or they won't understand, or it's, it's too big for them to understand. And it's my joke about the Saturday Night Live episode about the guy who just died and he's sitting next to the angel and the guy asks the angel, what's the most incredible thing there is? And the angel says, I can't tell you that. You'd wink out of existence. It's too much. And the guy goes, okay, fine. What's the thousandth most incredible thing there is? And the angel looks at him dead serious and says, professional wrestling is real. <laughs> and the, guy, the, guy's, the guy's like, no way. And the angel goes, I know, right. So if, if you're really having a problem getting your head around that one, you can't possibly get your head around the most incredible thing there is. So that, I always love that analogy about any of these topics. You know, people who have hobbies studying UFOs or alternative archaeology people who, and I've yeah. mentioned this a couple times on prior shows, have been battling the powers that be. No, we right. refuse to accept that the Giza Plateau ever had standing water. Why? Well, because all of our theories are, and all of my books I wrote, and my teaching, uh, uh, my teaching tenure is based on the fact that the Egyptians built it with there, Hebrew there, slaves. Right. There can't be anything prior to ten thousand years ago. But no. what if there is? Well, then the public will lose faith faith in us. And of course, as I once sat telling several government agencies, they lost faith in you thirty years ago. I don't know what right. the hell you guys are thinking. Um, so there are many other examples out there of singular events who have to be understood against a much bigger picture. And mm. I've kind of alluded to this on prior shows where we're like with Matthew Eretz work. And I've said, you know, if you're trying to understand the JFK assassination, if you're trying to understand Bobby's assassination, or for those who understand that topic a little deeper, the attempts on de Gaulle's life in France and why that relates, or trying to understand what really happened in Iran and Nicaragua in 79 and the list goes on, you can't study those things as individual events because they're part of a much longer historical tapestry. And that's where uh, Matthew's work is excellent. And I know for some of you, you know, it's very kind of professorial. And that's why I like Matthew, because he can get into the depth of oh, yeah. the intellectuals and others who, who uh, got us there. Um, by the way, somebody posted in the, in the chat about Stephen Greer. Um, I've read Greer's books. I actually own a couple of them, but I have to, I have to say that uh, for those of you who know who Stephen Greer is, uh, I'm more and more of the belief that Stephen Greer is a plant. Yeah, 100%. But that's just, that's just Velis's opinion. Don't, that, you know. I, I second that motion. The guy, something about the guy just rubs my, 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 my fed uh, uh, sensors are going off. Yeah. The, the, uh, for those of you who know the hacking world at, at Interop and uh, Black Hat, uh, they have little games they play called spot the fed. Um, where literally they put photos up and we'll, we'll 
here's why you want to be careful about really good hackers. Uh, when they do the in, what's called interop at in Vegas or the Black Hat uh, event, they've got big boards where they put up anyone they suspect of being a federal agent, when you were hired, what schools you went to. I mean, it's scary crap they can pull up on these agents and say, like, you're in this room. Here's the machine address, the Mac address of the laptop you brought with you, and we told you don't bring a laptop. <laughs> oh. Uh, and uh, oh, and by the way, you're you're three months behind on your credit card payment. So coming full circle on this, on the the kind of the analogy I was making about the UFO thing is, we all of us, uh, those of us who are part of Rogue News, and all of you who are in our lovely audience, we're living through a period of time that is unlike any other because we've got both sides of it. We have what I said a moment ago. We have bots who are, are just machine armies out there spreading disinformation all over the place. And, and it's time consuming. And we got to filter all of that to try and figure out where's the chaff and where's the seed. Um, there's an old saying that has been said by many that the truth is so important it must be protected by bodyguards of lies. And we, we here at Rogue, myself included, are, are trying to get through the bodyguards of lies to get you uh, the truth. And as I said at the beginning of the show, some of the truth I, truth I can share with you on the show, the other truth, I'm not going to, even if I have a copy of the book uh, myself. When I had uh, dinner with uh, CJ and V, you know, I told them both, I'm, I'm always very careful uh, to the best of my ability to not do anything silly uh, here on the show. So in conclusion on this thought, what do we have now? Um, we have, in my opinion, a very strange repeat of what happened in the 90s with people with a curiosity reaching out to one another. You know, I don't speak your language, but I've got a piece of software that, that translates. And so forgive me if some of the words are a little off, but you and I have a common interest. I'm in Indonesia and you're in Poland, but I'd like to work with you and, and explore this further rather than me trying to do it myself. And the very same technology that has been used as a tool to try and enslave us is also being used by us to find freedom. Right. to find the truth. People around the world are working together collectively to reveal what is hidden. Again, look at all the demonstrations we've recently seen in Europe. Whether the media covers it or not, you know, okay, that's one thing. But did those demonstrations of thousands and thousands of people all across Europe and other countries take place? Yes. Did the truth get out? Yes. Are they trying to find ways to stop us from organizing, trying to find ways to stop us from communicating? Yes. But as I and others on Rogue have said, um, this is a distance race. I, I, I more than anybody would want to live in a world where we've just got one person who's, who's able to pull it all together, you know, and that's the danger of the savior model. Yeah. Um, but this, this is about everything. This is about the coup for the last couple of years. This is about the last 70 years of almost never ending war. This is about child trafficking. This is about corruption of all kinds. This is about the hidden agendas of transhumanism or call it what you will, eugenics about the views of the elites. Um, only now have the people around the world had the ability to get, get a hold of one another and share ideas, even if those ideas might be kind of odd or we just kind of roll our eyes and say, well, I'm, that's not my thing. I'm probably not going to believe you on that one. That's fine. It's like I said, you know, the UFO thing may not be your thing. You may not believe a word of it, but I assure you there's a lot of people out there, powerful, wealthy people who take great interest in it simply because the way in which those folks for years have been trying to tackle challenges and problems have been unbelievably creative. It reminds me of the line I like from the movie Constantine. Mm. I don't believe in the devil. Well, that's a shame because he believes in you. Mm. So we here at Rogue will be on this journey with you. And um, what do you call it? I'll be back on the 7th of, of January. And many of you know where to find me on, uh, on Discord. So with that, I'll open the floor and Unless of course there, CJ, your thoughts. Unless of course we have a uh, roundtable, probably the next two weeks, and uh, I'll be on the roundtable. Yeah, absolutely. We'll do it, we'll do it midweek, so it'll be easy. And Marty, Marty Farrell, yes, I have brought up the promise software before, and probably need to to get into that again. Absolutely, um, dude. I mean, amazing. Just you took it to through the the rabbit hole, uh, connecting the events, uh, looking at the entire uh, chessboard. Very remarkable. Let me let me ask you this a little bit off uh, the um, what do you think their obsession is, especially with uh, this whole UFO phenomenon? I I, I think there's a comp you know component to that um, you know uh, that is um, 
what I would think to be perhaps interdimensional or something like that. What's your take? What's your opinion on it from the people that you've talked to that you surrounded yourself with? What are what are they what what, what do they think about this phenomenon? It is it is in many respects it is the ultimate puzzle. Mm. Uh, it reminds me of the joke from Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy that that the minute sentient beings in the universe come close to understanding the universe, the universe changes itself again and makes you makes you start over. Mm. Um, are the following true? A uh, has this been used since the 1940s and 1950s as a form of psychological operation to test the global public, not just the public in the United States, on how various forms of viral ideas can be spread? Yes, that is a fact. Are elements of this incredibly advanced, I don't even want to say aircraft, but platforms? Yes. Is the door open to um, dimensional things? You know, there's there's a, yeah. a, a theme out there in the uh, the UFO community that when we detonated nuclear bombs in the 1940s and 50s, that it the electromagnetic bursts caused uh, disruptions to space and time, and we basically created an interstate highway problem uh, out there, <laughs> and uh, the neighbors weren't happy about it, and that's why they started dropping in. Who knows? You know, the door is open. I mean, I don't want to say simple, but at a at a certain level. It does help that um, we've had uh, a number of folks out there, like in the alternative archaeology community, come up with ideas that traditionalists were like, there's no way that can be true. You know, I mean, if we go way back and look at the guys who came up with the, uh, the Ice Age problem, uh, or uh, terrible, sorry, the, uh, the impact crater in uh, Mexico, those guys were vilified. Until yeah. PBS let them do a documentary where they showed their work and this, that, and the other. And now it's just accepted dogma. But I think I think of the many layers to it, and that's part of the challenge. Because, I mean, are, you know, and I want to be very clear. Was I present at some of those conferences because I was on the payroll? No. I Was I on the payroll? Yes. But I was there for my job? No. I was just there because I had an interest in it. Um, and they had a number of speakers. And as I shared with, with V and CJ, I actually attended a conference where I got the chance to meet um, Giorgio Sukalos, who's a very nice guy, by the way. Uh, and, uh, the, the guy with the, uh, the, the, the hair, hair. Yeah. from Ancient and, Aliens. And, yes, and none other than the godfather <laughs> of the topic itself, uh, uh, Eric Von Daniken. Yeah. Um, but, I mean, it's, it's interesting stuff. You know, it's no different than people that are into uh, – I got a friend of mine who's very much into the Cobra um, uh, cars – you know, the, the sports cars, yeah, uh, I, went to one of, I went, yeah, I went to one of those conferences and it's, it's, again, it's a very eclectic group of people. You've got folks who've been putting together a kit car their whole life. You've got somebody who's gotten a multi-million dollar original Carroll Shelby car sitting in a, sitting in a museum somewhere. And it's the same way with folks I know that are into Arabian horses, which is a very specific kind of area in the horsing world. You've got folks that are just getting by, but they have one Arabian horse. They don't race it or anything. They just, they just like to show the animal. You've got people from the Arab world that have got a hundred of them and are flying them over on special, special planes and, and showing them. I mean, it's just, it's, a, it's all of these different communities have their things. So with that topic, um, that's why you got to take it apart into pieces when people start talking about it into which element of you, do you have an, of this, do you have an interest or what area of this are we talking about? Because when people start going down the road of saying, well, it's this, now, I'm going to say something. Please don't anybody get upset with me. I'm just using this as an example. <laughs> um, but it's like somebody saying, well, God is. Really? Really? <laughs> Humanity for at least 10,000 years in multiple parts of the world has been racking its brain trying to get its head around that one. Um, you know, it's the same thing with this topic. Which which are we talking about? Um, we, You know, it depends which piece of this you're trying you're trying to work through. But... Um, I, I, I raise a very strong Vulcan, uh, Spock like eyebrow, uh, when it comes to, you know, the government wants to put together uh, a new body to study, uh, unidentified objects. Um, there's, uh, uh, a group of folks that have been showing up on the history channel and others who I immediately find suspect because they're all involved with, with, you know, foremost UFO researcher. It's like, right. And in the public domain, that foremost UFO researcher is connected to three different defense contractors, all of whom are privately held all yeah. out of New Mexico and is getting funded by private equity, which begs the question, why, what, what the crap is going on there. Mm. 
you know, but it's like I said on my first show last October in, in 2020, um, why were folks from, and I've mentioned this a couple of times, why did the US Geological Survey Agency have people that were checking UFO message boards way, way, way back in the 90s? Because they were studying aerial phenomenon that might be connected to plate tectonics. Now, why was why was that such a big deal? Because the accepted view in geology, and especially with government agencies, was there's no truth to the rumor. <laughs> there's no truth to the rumor that ground lightning and ball lightning and aerial phenomena that look like aurora borealis on a clear sky somewhere along the California border with Nevada have anything to do with the possibility of future earthquakes. So yeah. what did the young researchers do? They kept studying UFO message boards because they needed the data. And once they had an aerial phenomenon that they could localize to a particular area, they went back to the sensors and equipment that was there and started digging into using the word fidelity. They started going into much, much deeper granular levels of, of data and started noticing things they hadn't seen before. So did they come up with a more accurate way of, of predicting, because predicting earthquakes obviously is incredibly hard to do, but did they find ways to, to find better ways to predict uh, future earthquakes or, or the possibility of tremors after one had occurred. Yes. Now, how did they do that? Well, by means no one wants to talk about. And then, of course, again, and I've mentioned this on other shows, you'll have somebody out there that's, that's, that's researching this topic and, and say something like, you know, well, my God, I think, I think the U.S. Ge Geological Survey Agency is, is actually ground zero of all of our UFO research. And it's like, no, stop that. No, 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 no. <laughs> no, that's, that's, the department, that's the Department of Agriculture, and that's a whole other topic. But it's like, no, there's, there's a reason why that happens. So let's, it's like the $1,000 toilet seat on a, on a plane. Uh, there, there's a reason why that happened. Let's, let's back off a bit and, and everybody calm down. But it's it's funny, you know. I mean, you go to some of these conferences, and you'll see you'll see people talking about not the I won't say easy ones, but the more the more well known ones like Roswell or what have you. But you'll see people talking about the Keckberg, uh, Kecksburg incident in Pennsylvania, right? And you'll you'll see a couple of hundred people almost coming to blows about well, it was the Nazi bell. It was a time travel machine. That's what crashed, and I refuse to hear anything different. Other people know it was aliens. Other people know it was a test capsule for the Apollo program. You know, and the moderators like, perhaps it was all. Who knows? Would everyone please calm down? Stop throwing your sodas at each other. Would everybody take it easy? We're just trying to have a conversation here. So it's <laughs> it's everybody gets upset about their thing, whatever it might be. But yeah, that that topic is wow. You got to mm. you got to pull that one apart into small pieces. But but yeah, there's. There's a lot there, but but again, the bigger one that I think folks need to be aware of is a lot of the ability to misinform, a lot of the ability to misdirect, and a lot of the ability to deceive people uh, directly came from the government studying ways to manipulate that audience. Interesting. Doesn't, wow. Doesn't, it doesn't mean they're in. It doesn't mean their interest or the topic matter is untrue. And when I say untrue, then from there we got to boil down what part are we talking about? Mm -hmm. Visual sightings? Are we talking about personal contact? Are we talking about fighter pilots seeing something? I mean, for any of you who've flown on a commercial airline flight, how many times have any of us looked out the window and seen something where it's like, oh, geez, yeah. I wonder what that, you know, and I hear people yeah. say, it's, it's like, I worked with military pilots, for God's sakes. These are people in high pressure jobs who have to make sure they don't launch a missile at the wrong thing. Even they will be the first person to tell you three to 500 miles an hour. And, and the radar image is kind of wonky. And I'm looking out the window and it's like, well, is that a MIG? <laughs> is that a weather balloon? I don't know what the hell that is. So it's the same thing here. I mean, you, you have to boil it down. What are we talking about? But when it comes to misleading information, when it comes to messing with the public about, I saw something, but I can't make out what it is. They, they quote unquote, they have gotten unbelievably good, unbelievably good at, at using that. And again, do the government agencies in question know, quote, the truth, whatever the heck that means. It doesn't matter. I mean that literally. To them, it doesn't matter. All they care about is I'm trying to accomplish something. How do yeah. I misinform or communicate or mess with people's heads? Final comment. Because the other thing, too, is, is it's very regional. And what I mean by that is in the United States, if somebody says they've had a encounter, they will often describe what? Short, gray beings with big eyeballs. Sure. If you go to South America, they have a completely different reference point. They'll tell you it was lizard-like. And my personal favorite, if you go to Nordic countries or Italy, they, I'm not making this up. I'm dead serious. They will always describe incredibly beautiful, white, blue-eyed, blonde women who are naked and want to have sex with them. That's like a thing. <laughs> 
Leave it to the American to think of the uh, the <laughs> the little gray with the big head and big eyes. I had a I had a friend of mine from Italy who said <laughs> who said our UFO encounters are far more stimulating than the ones in the United States. Um, <laughs> Gus would be if Gus was there. Yeah. Like, abduct me, please, right. please abduct me. I can hear Gus now. What part of Finland was this exactly? Um, but yeah, that's what I'm saying. They're in the woods when the the study though was. No, we got we got to close. I got Harley. I know. Go I know we do. I know we do. Yeah. Um, the study was how how do we uh, uh, how how do you make it specific to certain uh, uh, ethnic groups, different belief systems, etc. Interesting. You know the same the same way that we used to pipe in loud uh, noises in Vietnam to scare North Vietnamese troops by by um, uh, frightening them with the voices of their ancestors and similar. So anyway, very big topic. We can cover it another time. Everybody have a great holiday. Uh, out there and Enjoy. Uh, i'll be talking to many of you on discord well thanks so much folks if you haven't done so already hit the subscribe button and harley schlanger is next so take it away cj